That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. We start out today with the big news of the day. It is the day we choose the next president of the United States. Ah, you thought we did that on November 8th? No, we did not on November 8th. Because on November 8th, over 2.8 million people more than 2.8 million people that voted for Donald Trump actually voted for Hillary Clinton. So if you took the vote on November 8th, Hillary Clinton is the next president of the United States. But that's not the way it works, sadly, here in this country. You know, there were some, a lot of old bad stuff in the original Constitution. Let's be honest. Women couldn't vote. Boom, we changed that. Senators were elected by state legislatures instead of directly by the people. We changed that. African Americans only represented two-thirds of a person and couldn't vote. We changed that. The people's vote didn't matter. What really mattered were electors who represent uh, the number of members of Congress and senators from the various states. They were the ones, those elite politicians, who actually elected the president of the United States. Oh, we didn't change that yet? That's the only thing left over, and we haven't changed it. It's crazy. It's idiotic, but that's the way it is. And so today is actually election day. Let's talk about it. And the question is, should the electors do what's best for America or should they do what's best for Donald Trump or what's best for the Republican Party now that it's been taken over by Donald Trump? And, and let's, so let's just do a little uh, quick history lesson here uh, on, first of all, on, on the electors. Here's, here's where you go to find out about them, right, right here. The United States Constitution, Article 2, says the, each state shall appoint in such manner as a legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. So that's where they come from. The states, every state, uh, for example, let's take Delaware. Delaware has one member of Congress and two senators, three electoral votes. California has two senators and I think 55 members of Congress, 57 uh, electoral votes. So how many electors are there? 100 senators. 435 members of Congress, and the District of Columbia gets three. That's 538 electors. You need, of course, 270 to win the White House. 
So these electors, you may not have realized, but you actually voted for them when you voted. Because the state party in each state chooses the electors, a slate of electors. Uh, I've never been an elector. I could have been. I was state chair of California. I could have put myself on the list. I just, I don't know, wasn't interested, never thought of it, to tell the truth. But anyhow, there is a slate of electors. And then when you vote for president, you're voting for president, but what you're really doing is you are voting for the slate of electors that your party, Republican or Democrat, has put up or independent or green or or, or whatever. And so they're the people that today... In each state, those electors show up at the state capitol and cast their vote. Do they, if they're, let's say, on the Democratic slate, do they have to vote for Hillary Clinton? Nope. If they're on the Republican slate do and their state went for Donald Trump, they're in a red state, do they have to vote for Donald Trump? Nope. Not, on, not according to this, not according to the Constitution, and not according to federal law. There's no federal law that says you have to vote the way your state voted. In some states, you have to pay a fine if you don't vote the same way. But so what? You are you are legally free. Electors are legally free to vote for whomever candidate they believe is the best for the country. And we've seen that in Texas, at least so far, there's one elector, a Republican, who has said, in good conscience, I can't vote for Donald Trump because I think he'd be a disaster for this country. I don't care if Texas voted for him. I don't care if my Republican Party, he was a nominee. I just can't, uh, I just can't, I just can't vote for him. Uh, so the question is, and you know, moveon.org and other organizations, uh, progressive organizations, have been putting a lot of pressure on electors saying, hey, you're free to vote your conscience. Maybe you ought to do what's best for the country. And by the way, if you pay, face a fine, we'll pay the fine. You don't have to worry about the fine. We'll pay the fine. And then one other thing, very, very important, I believe, is that um, a group of electors led by Christine Pelosi, daughter of, uh, out of San Francisco, has requested uh, that the electors be in, in body, in bulk, all 538, or at least those who want it, uh, should get an intelligence briefing on the extent of the Russian hacking and its potential influence on this election before they cast their vote today. Uh, here's uh, Christine on ABC News uh, last night. I've been out front trying to promote the idea that we should get an intelligence briefing, that the public should be briefed on this, but I'm not going to tell somebody else how to vote their conscience. That's up to them. And so far, and here's the this is the day, uh, the intelligence community has rejected that request. Uh, and so basically they're going in blind. Yeah, They don't know, no, no idea, um, to what extent the Russians really were trying to hack uh, and influence this election. Uh, and they don't know and have no idea what influence they may have had, actual influence they may have had on the uh, election. Uh, I think that's unfortunate. I think they should have been given that briefing. I think that electors should have all the information that that they need to make an intelligence decision. And I would hope, and I would hope that all of you would do whatever you can today uh, to put out the word and influence any elections. One of the key ways of doing so I know is go to moveon.org and just join their petition uh, to the electors so that millions and millions and millions of Americans will be on record saying, 
do the right thing. Cast your ballot, not for Donald Trump. He's a disaster for this country. Cast her for Hillary Clinton. What do you think? 866-55-PRESIDENT. Before we go, uh, Peter, I know you wanted to jump in here, but uh, is I just want to give you the count. So the count today, remember, is 200 and you need 270. It's now 306 for Donald Trump, 232 for Hillary. So you do the math. 36, Donald Trump still gets 270. If 37, just 37 electors were to do the right thing, Hillary Clinton, well, if they do the right thing, then it goes to the House of Representatives. And the House of Representatives then would face the pressure they would elect. The House, the House would elect the next president. The Senate would elect the next vice president. The pressure then would be on the House, and then we'd go and battle on the House to get Hillary Clinton elected the next president. You know, to me, uh, a lot of things I've been seeing online, I was just watching Fox News while you were talking, right? Uh, the left wants to undercut democracy. No, we want to exercise democracy. Is, that's the big headline, right? Yeah. And I think that what Christine Pelosi said was was really spot on. It's not necessarily to change or sway the vote, but if you're going to do this, and we're going to do it by this electoral college, you have to have all the information. Yeah. And look- a lot of people had a lot of information on Donald Trump, and they still voted for him anyway. We know what kind of person he is. We've seen no. his terrible behavior, and they still voted for him anyway. That could very well happen with the Electoral College. But if you're the type of person who's in the Electoral College, you see the impact that Russia had in the election, and you see what happened to our democratic process, and you still vote for Donald Trump anyway, you have that right. Yep, you have that right. And also, you see the kind of people he's appointed to his administration, who it's the wrecking crew, people who will wreck every single federal agency and department and all the great work they've been doing under Republican and Democratic presidents for the last 50 years, all be destroyed under people like Ben Carson and Scott Pruitt and Rex Tillerson and Jeff Sessions. Uh, and so, yes, I would hope people would come to their, the electors would come to their senses and say, my primary obligation is to the American people. It is not to this egomaniac Donald Trump, who unfortunately, uh, un <laughs> unfortunately, no, fortunately lost the popular vote, but unfortunately at this time has an advantage in the Electoral College. So this is it. This is Election Day. And this election has taken many zigs and zags along the way. <laughs> That's an Let's understatement. Hope today would be the biggest zigzag of all. <laughs> Electors do the right thing today. Elias Isquith, what do you think, Elias? Can we hold out any hope that it's going to flip today? How are you? Uh, hey, hey, man. Good morning. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> In a word, right? Yeah, in a word, no. But wouldn't I mean, it be I, fun if just half a dozen or a dozen, you know, or whatever? Yeah, that's kind of what, you know, what I'm actually hoping for. Um, obviously, there's a scenario if you're an opponent of Trump, which I am, where you're kind of hoping somehow that, you know, January 20th isn't going to happen. Um, but that's probably not so realistic. And I think you could probably make an argument that, like, the insanity that would ensue if, um, you know, if he didn't get to be president, might be perhaps not worth it. But I'm with you. I, I hope there's some significant number of uh, electors who vote either. I don't know if they're able to. I think they have to vote for somebody. 
I don't think they can vote present. Do you guys know? Can they just uh, vote, you know, that's present? That's a good question. I don't... I think they probably could, to tell the truth, but... Uh, Something like that, you know, yeah. whether they vote present or they write in, you know, <laughs> Hamilton, as some people I think want them to do, yeah, or Hamilton, whatever. Right. Um, you know, something like that I think would be valuable just because, you know, let's assume and hope that there's going to be historians in the future to look back on us now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it'd be really valuable also for people here and now uh, to see that, you know, officially that phrase that we keep saying, this is not normal, a lot of liberals, yeah. Trump is not normal, don't normalize this, yeah. this is yeah. not normal. This could be a great way to sort of uh, put that on the record. Um, it wouldn't be the first time we had some electors not go along with kind of the quote-unquote will of the voters, but, you know, as, as your listeners know, uh, whether this is the will of the voters is itself a, a pretty big question. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope there's something unusual, but I don't expect that um, we're going to wake up feeling saved tomorrow. And we know that if it does go, I mean, if it is sort of the downer on this, is if it does go to the House, we know what the House would do, right? But yeah. But I think the upside is, as one of our callers earlier pointed out, is this really does focus so much of a spotlight on the Electoral College and may be just the impetus we need for finally uh, finding a way around it. You know. it, yeah, it's really hard for me to imagine that, that you know, in like 10 years, the way we, the, the rules will be the same, or there won't right. be at least some right. large movement in the in the works to change yep. the Electoral College. I mean, twice in one generation, if you have W and then you put yep. Trump, yep. Uh, it, it's just impossible to imagine people won't demand something. Now, uh, when you take a look now, I think we can say, except for the Department of, Agri of Agriculture, we basically see what the Trump administration is going to look like. Uh, pretty frightening, isn't it, overall? Yeah, it, it would have looked bad in the 50s, you know, um, <laughs> in terms Good. of <laughs> the lineup point. and, yes. and <clears throat> excuse me, and the politics of a lot of these people. I mean, it, it's, it's a crazy mix of oligarchs and, you know, people who you might call theocrats, and then you have you have the Bannon people who... So I'm curious what you guys think about how you try to read the tea leaves here about, you know, who's winning what internal power struggle, because obviously that's going on between Bannon and Paul Ryan and Reince Priebus. But it seems to me so far that Bannon is letting, as far as I can tell, you know, Ryan and Reince Priebus kind of pick most of the cabinet. But it's guys like Flynn, you know, who don't have to make it through the Senate, who's going to be a national security advisor. It's sort of these newer faces that are the wackier of this already wacky group that I worry about and see as perhaps sort of the Bannon people. Yeah, I think there's some very sort of traditional picks in there that just about any uh, Republican president would maybe mess with, you know. And I think those are very clearly sort of the Paul Ryan faction and that influence. I don't think uh, Steve Bannon cares about the traditional moves that Donald Trump is going to have to make as president. I got to tell you, I, I, I hate to be a negativist, but I don't see one person that he's appointed that I think is, is uh, worthy of the job. I mean, to me, every single department, every agency, he has looked around to find who is the public enemy number one of EPA. All right. That's Scott Pruitt. He gets a job. Who's the public enemy number one of public education? Betsy DeVos. She's got yep. the job. You know. And you can or take that all the way through. Look at the Department of Labor. Who's a public enemy number one of the minimum wage and, and, and workers' rights, right? 
this uh, Posner, right, the head of yep. parties. There it is. He's the, he's the Secretary of Labor. It's it's stunningly and scary. Yeah, the the one the examples you can find that kind of go against that narrative are actually even worse, Bill, because <laughs> it's Ben Carson. Yeah. Where it's like he yeah. doesn't, yeah, he, <laughs> right. You know, he probably you know rejects the mission of HUD. I think he the does. Times has not bad today oh, saying the, that. The, no, the Times editorial today is oh, blistering, right. blistering. Yeah. But the thing about Ben Carson is, as much as he rejects the the you know the mission of the agency, he probably never thought about it before. You know, two weeks ago. Right. Uh, so, like, you either have these guys who have spent their whole lives sort of hoping to destroy this thing, yeah. this thing being whatever agency they're put in charge of, or you got guys like Ben Carson who thought about it for maybe five minutes, but the the thinking they've done in five minutes is as bad as what those people have done their whole lives. Yeah. No. <laughs> absolutely. Ben Carson. Yeah. His qualifications for Secretary of Housing. Hey, he lived in a house. Yeah, right. That's about it. No, I can't tell you. All right. The Christian community is responding both on the left and the right to the Trump administration. So Jack Jenkins is here from Think Progress, their senior religion porter, a reporter to tell us all about it. Jack, it's good to see you. Good to be here. Uh, let's start with uh, with Donald Trump because the some of the evangelical. Well, Donald Trump brags about getting the evangelical vote, uh, which he says, Jamie, he got in record record. No, of course, everything with Donald Trump is record, a new world record. How about the evangelicals? How good was that? A world record. Evangelical Christians. We set the all-time record in the history of elections in this country, evangelicals. <laughs> the world's record, uh, the all-time all record. Uh, how did he do with the evangelical vote? Well, he, he certainly um, did better than I think a lot of evangelical leaders would have expected. Um, he got over 80% in most exit polls, um, <clears throat> which is a lot. And it's interesting because of the, the huge divisions that were within the evangelical leadership community. So, you know, Russell Moore, head of the Southern Baptist Convention's political arm, was a, a vehement opponent of Trump's since just like last December. Um, and, you know, had written all these op-eds and, it, you know, called yeah. on all these other people to oppose him. But at the end of the day, it looks like um, white, white evangelicals in particular, because um, <clears throat> this, this statistic did not carry over to other branches of evangelicalism that were not white. Um, but the white evangelicals in particular were more supportive of um, him than arguably any other. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing to track, like what exactly constitutes white evangelicals now than like 20 years ago. Um, I think world record is kind of a weird way to set it because it's like a thing that like, only America competes in. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> it's kind of like the World Series. Like, yeah, we won. We beat Canada. Um, but the... Uh, but but I it is true that he did surprisingly well with that demographic, and but some of the leadership like uh, Franklin Graham right was mm -hmm. all the way absolutely right? Liber and Liberty University all right he Jer got Jerry Jerry Jr. Falwell yeah. um, and he in in Ralph Reed as well he managed to pull together this hodgepodge religious right leadership group that is. <coughs> Um, about half traditional religious right leaders and the other half um, a new breed of prosperity gospel preachers, mm -hmm. which was really the first time they'd been politicized. But um, that was enough. That was enough for him to pull it off. This um, is what really, really bothered me, maybe more than anything in the election, which I, I've talked about uh, on air some about how my parents, who are Southern Baptist evangelical Christians, 
we're going to vote for Donald Trump. And 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 I found that out well after the sexual assault stuff came out and they were sticking with Trump and and it really messed with me, not just because of them specifically, but like how can you be a Christian? Yeah, how how can they reconcile their Christianity with Donald Trump's life and lifestyle and, right. and public statements and well, it's interesting to hear the arguments contrary to it. And what I actually um, interviewed uh, an evangelical couple in South Carolina who was pledging to support Trump. Yeah. And and what they'll say often is they say, well, you know, God uses imperfect vessels, Oof. and um, which is a troublesome theology on multiple levels in terms of what that how that could go in different directions. It excuses anything, mm-hmm. literally anything. <clears throat> and relatedly, they will also argue that um, Donald Trump, while he might not be perfect. The argument that they wanted a Supreme Court that would defend uh, their definition of religious liberty was was paramount in evangelical circles. Like it it mattered more than who was on the ticket, clearly. And we saw that huge statistical flip from 2011 where the overwhelming majority of evangelicals said, look, the morality of my um, of my candidate matters. To 2016, the same question, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of evangelicals said, "No, no, it more matters with policy." They also matter. applied a different standard to Bill Clinton, right, than to Donald Trump, to Hillary Clinton, than to Donald Trump, right? I mean, right. I mean, Ralph Reed himself decried Bill Clinton and said we need you know morality in our leadership, and then said the exact opposite about Donald Trump this year. That we use imperfect vessels. Mm-hmm. What about the religious left, such as it is? And th- there is a strong religious left. Absolutely. And a growing, I think, religious left. Actually, yeah, and actually in part because of Trump. Um, <clears throat> I had a piece in the Post last week about this saying that we're starting to see this surge of donations and interest in religious left groups after, as a response to Donald Trump's election. Um, part of that has to do with his um, coming administration's intentional targeting of uh, Muslim Americans and how many of his supporters are anti-Muslim or anti-Semitic or also just anti-progressive Christian. Um, Gay pastors and priests have been victims of hate incidences um, since Trump got elected. So the advantage for that, for the religious left, is that it's allowed them to coalesce. Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to see all of these groups show up again. Last week, we had a group of religious left religious leaders decry his cabinet, say it's a cabinet of bigotry. And I think you're only going to see those voices get louder moving forward. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, Reverend William Barber from mm-hmm. North Carolina. Um, Sojourners, Jim Wallace, I mm-hmm. guess. and Faith in Public Life, Auburn uh, Seminary. Jennifer Butler, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be, that, that list is going to grow, I think. Muslims, forward. Jews, across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually there was <clears throat> a record number of... Um, of groups, you know, decried this, but of um, his election, but also it's soon after the election, a historic alliance of Jewish and Muslim organizations occurred. Um, groups that had not, that had coordinated in some ways, they they officialized their coordination in response to Trump's election. So in some ways, he's bringing people together, um, <laughs> yeah. just not necessarily in ways that that they would have predicted or, or preferred. Um, I, yeah, I, I I love that phrase, cabinet of bigotry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty very powerful. And I think if we look at this cabinet, that's that's what it is. So you've also been following, and we talked a little bit about this in the last hour, the Electoral College. Um, what is the, What are the chances today the Electoral College is going to do anything uh, different than the, the what pers- people expect? Um, low. Yeah. I will say <clears throat> faith actually um, has played a big role in this. Um, so the one elector that it said that's faith. 
The yeah. one elector that has come out and said, but hey, look. I have no faith they're going to do <laughs> right. That's fair. The right thing. Um, <laughs> the one elector that's come out publicly and said, I, I am a Republican elector who's going to vote against Trump um, is Chris Supran in Texas. And you've uh, talked to him. I have. And a couple of times. And he explained to me, he wrote a big New York Times op-ed to declare why he mm-hmm. was um, going to oppose Trump. And it was all these policy reasons. And then he also explained to me that as a Catholic, he could not support Trump. And in an interesting twist, he explained, he's like, I'm a pro-life Catholic. And so I couldn't support Clinton. But I wanted, but I can't support Trump either because he's been so inconsistent. And so, like, he doesn't see Trump as a true mm. conservative. Um, similarly, two other... Um, GOP electors have said that they won't vote for Trump either. However, they have said that they're going to resign today. So what they'll do is have someone else take their place. Mm. So another elector, Art Cisneros, um, who is also in Texas, wrote a whole theological diatribe saying why he voting for um, uh, voting for Trump would be bring shame to God. It would be an ungodly thing to do. Mm. Um, but he reasoned it so that, um, which a lot of people disagree with theologically, but his reasoning was, I, I made a pledge to the Republican Party if I can't, um, that I would support their candidate. If I can't support their candidate, someone else needs to do it. So he's going to step back, as is another elector in Georgia. Um, so I talked to Chris Superin yesterday, and uh, he didn't give me any answers in terms of how he thinks today is going to go, only that he thinks he probably won't be the only one. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a long way to get to 37, but they've been working frantically. And uh, w- one Harvard professor last week said they had as many as 20 to 30 who were willing to flip, but we'll see if that actually looks like that today. So. Yeah. Uh, they need 37. Yes. 36 more if Chris – yeah, right. And because that, and all, all that would do is send it to the House, to the House, which right. would probably affirm Trump. Now it would hurt Trump because that would mean he would both have lost the popular vote and the Electoral College. Um, the only people that would have made him president would be Congress. But practically speaking, it's unlikely that he would not be elected by a very heavily GOP House of Representatives. Uh, do you think this attention to the Electoral College, no matter how it turns out, could quicken the day when we finally get rid of it? Yes. Uh, I think that's one of the arguments, uh, the, the, the sub-arguments of those who are within it. So, I mean, you know, let's say that the Electoral College overturns Trump's win today, which is un- highly unlikely. But if they did, then that would make, you know, uh, conservatives unhappy as well. And so then you have both conservatives and progressives <laughs> who are angry that the Electoral right. College exists. Right. And, um, and so then it would shift to, you know, perhaps a movement to overturn it. Um, that's, what a perfect mess! <laughs> yeah, and it's it's harder than you'd think because it would to to formally overturn it, you'd have to use a um, constitutional amendment, but you yeah, can de facto right. over overturn it by getting enough states enough states to say we'll go along with a popular vote. And so far, I think eleven states, but it's a total of one hundred and sixty-five mm-hmm. uh, electoral votes. I mean, that's get, getting close, right? Exactly. And you and like New York State, like two days before the election, reaffirmed that like this is something that's permanent. Like they're they're the second that they get two hundred, the second they all these states say the second you can get two hundred and seventy electoral votes um, across the country saying that they, they will support the popular vote no matter what. Like states that represent over two hundred seventy, yeah. we will all agree to do it. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that's that's that is plausible. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. 
Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. At the news conference with President Obama on Friday, a lot of questions among the Washington, uh, the White House press corps, uh, my colleagues there, as to what um, press relations are going to look like under the new administration. Will there be briefings? Will there be news conferences? Will certain media outlets be banned? Oh, so much attention to that. Hadass Gold is the chief media reporter for Politico. She's here with all the answers. Hi. Uh, hello, Hadass. <laughs> nice to see you. Good to be here. First time I saw you was at a bar, bellying up at the bar at the CNN party. Oh, right. Right? <laughs> Shh, don't tell everybody that. No. <laughs> yeah. How hammered was Bill? Um, he knows how to hold his liquor. He's pretty good. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> Ask me how hammered the Hadass was. No, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> All right, I want to start with something off the record, which was that uh, last night in Mar-a-Lago, President-elect Trump, who has not held a news conference since July 27, yes, uh, hangs out with some reporters off the record for drinks. Yeah. He, held, he held off the record. Uh, it seemed like a holiday-type drinks with the traveling press that was with him. There was a photo shared of it. Uh, we, we saw the photo. They all yeah. seemed nicely dressed, and uh, it was for what went for thirty minutes long. Uh, but it was it was interesting because uh, normally when you have an off the record drinks like that, your your goal is to try to kind of shore up the relationship between the media and whoever the person is. Um, and it's true, Donald Trump has completely avoided press conferences since July. He's held a few. You know, he's done interviews, for one, um, and he held his weird media photo thing with Kanye West. Um, yeah. But it, it's not the formal press conference that he used to ironically make fun of Hillary Clinton for avoiding mm -hmm. yeah, all the time. Right, right. Um, and so it's clear that it, through this effort, he's trying to improve the relationships with the with the press corps. But is this really the way to do it? I mean, uh, this does not substitute for a full-fledged news conference no, where he has to show he knows what, you know, what his position is on right it does it does not substitute at all um, because uh, I mean there's clear risks and rewards in doing those big press conferences there's so many questions that he would be pressed on right now um, and it's probably not questions that they want to deal with especially before the electoral college votes today uh, they've promised that there will be a big press conference in early January after the electoral college well there was supposed voted. to be one on December 15 right. of course which they postponed because they weren't ready so now right. they, they promise another one before the <coughs> inauguration we'll and see I if do, that happens I do have to say that I mean there was some fear when Donald Trump was first elected that they were going to completely block out the media. They were going to not even let us into the White House grounds or something like right, that. Right. Um, and so having off the record drinks with the president elect is at least I, I see it as a positive step. Um, I know that some journalists refuse to participate in off the record anything with the president. I was just going to ask whether do you think journalists made a mistake in accepting that as a as a 
plan B or I substitute? I, I don't think that they should accept it as a plan B. I, I, I do think that journalists should and continue to push for an on-the-record briefing. And I promise you, even though I don't know this, that I'm sure the journalist in that off-the-record meeting felt the weight of all the other reporters that they were representing and asked for the president-elect, when are you going to have a press conference? And you need to have a press conference. And it's very important. Uh, and I think that these off-the-record meetings can be helpful, not so much necessarily in getting information immediately to bring out to the public, but to help encourage that type of relationship where Donald Trump will then maybe be more likely to stand up in front of a room full of reporters because of this off-the-record meeting. Right. Uh, Do you find it strange that we are already, um, well, we're December 19, uh, and we know, like every other position in the administration, no idea who the next press secretary or communications director is going to be? <clears throat> well, I'd have to look back at previous years to see how quickly that position was often filled. Um, I, I We were expecting one, honestly, last week, um, and we thought it was going to be Sean Spicer. Right. And everybody was expecting it almost as, as soon as Thursday or Friday. Um, but we have not seen anything. It might, it might come any minute now. Um, I don't really know why. One has not been announced. I'm sure they're working out the exact um, hierarchy of who's communications director, <clears throat> who's spokesperson, who's deputy spokesperson. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll be a bunch of familiar faces, people we've already heard being talked about. Um, but I don't the, know why. The latest name on the street is Kimberly Guilfoyle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you heard that? And do you think that's for real? Well, we reported that. Uh, it was me and Tara Par- oh, Palmieri. I'm sorry. I should <laughs> uh, give you, yeah. Uh, and that was last week. So she's had a couple meetings with them. Um, there are people in her circle and people within the Trump circle who are trying to push her name and say, you really should have a woman as your press secretary. She's Latina. She's Puerto Rican in heritage. <clears throat> who could effectively communicate your message. And Kimberly Guilfoyle was a Trump supporter uh, for a while. So that's something we've seen that's important for Donald Trump. And some of his picks are people who had supported him for a long time. As far as I know, she is not really in the running. Uh, and <clears throat> as I've heard from some people, unless something drastically changes, it will be Sean Spicer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that I'm sure that we'll see at least one or two names that we weren't necessarily expecting in, in that group of people. The thing that's so funny to me about that is there are several oh, names uh, now of just Trump, I think, just sees these faces on TV. And it's, and it's like he's floating the names that he can afford, right? Like Sean Hannity carried more water for Trump than anybody else, right? But he can't afford Sean Hannity, so his name hasn't come up as, as, in joining the administration. Well, Sean but he can afford— Sean wouldn't take it either. No, I'm, I'm not so sure he would take it. He can't afford the pay cut. But, you know, Lawrence Kudlow is in the mix, uh, Monica Crowley, Kimberly Guilford, the people who are like— Monica Crowley already got hired. Yeah, she already got, she, yeah. She already got hired. So these are people who's, like, watching on TV and is like, well, I could probably afford them Well, it's not. I mean, from TV. <clears throat> Well, it's not just that he can afford them. Donald Trump has made it clear, A, that he's, he doesn't run in the typical circles that most president-elects run in. He, he's not familiar with all the think tank people, all the, all the former deputy whatevers yeah. of every cabinet. He, he does, he's not from this world. That's part of the reason why he got elected. Uh, and he, everybody's asking, where do you get your information from? Who do you meet with to get? And he said, I watch the shows. He said that himself. Yeah. And so yeah. The, yeah. he watches, he sees who gets, who's an expert who gets interviewed on these shows and a lot of them are now being considered and are already hired. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, j- just one final name there. I think she's better than any of them, which is why she drives me absolutely crazy. And that's Kellyanne Conway. Why I mean, is she, she is the number one spokesperson right. for the Trump campaign. Why does? Well, why isn't she being, automatically the press secretary? Being White House press secretary would actually be a step down for her. She is. Yeah. 
She should not. She should be like Kellyanne Conway is uh, is of the level that she should have been like a, if she was going to be staff, there a chief maybe. of staff. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. She should not be or or a chief strategist or yeah. a. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she could maybe be communications director, but even that I think is would be a step down for mm. her. Um, and I think that she has the leverage right now and is going to do what she wants to do. Um, and I mean, she has said it herself that. She doesn't necessarily want to be in the White House. It's, it's a grueling job to have. She has right. four young children. She just got right. off a, right. the two-year campaign trail, where I bet she didn't see them very often. There was even a whole SNL skit about yeah. her yeah. day off and how interrupted right. it was. So, yeah. And she can still do a lot of important work, and she clearly still has the president's ear outside of the White House, and she can run um, what was the equivalent of OFA or something like that. Okay, so I was at uh, President Obama's news conference on Friday. I saw that you helped the the, the person <laughs> who you were your front and center. It was Bill Press to the rescue. Former so volunteer you. fireman, former thank Boy you. Scout Bill Press. No, no, no. Never former. Once a, once a volunteer like fireman, a, always a volunteer. It's like a Marine. Got it, got it, got it. Once a volunteer fireman, always a volunteer But thank, thank you for uh, for helping out there. It was very meaningful. I want you to know, if you faint right here, Hadass, I will take care of you. You're in good okay? hands. Don't good worry to know. About. Good I'll to take know. pictures of it. That, that's some Instagram <laughs> stuff right there. Uh, a lot of women have that effect when they're very long. Oh. Oh, oh, my God. Bill. <laughs> 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 All right. My question to you was not about my fainting rescue, but... Is that the last presidential news conference we're going to see? I'm going to say no. I think that he's going to come out one more time. I think that there's going to be something else. I think maybe the president will feel like he needs to calm people's nerves once again before something. Who knows? I could see him coming out one more time just to do like a funny goodbye thing on like the 19th or something. But mm -hmm. I, I don't think this is the last one. Right. Uh, <coughs> and the presidential briefings, daily briefings this week. They've, they've not been widely attended recently because first of all, so many people went off on the campaign trail. Right. And then also, so much attention is now on Trump Tower and what the president-elect is doing, not what the president's doing. But will there be, what's what's the read? Will there be daily presidential briefings, no matter who the press secretary is? I don't think so. I think that we're going to really? see some Whoa. changes. Um, That's a big change. It's, it's a big change. I think that, um, now, I don't know if this is necessarily all negative. It kind of depends on what replaces it. If they decide instead we're going to do non-televised briefings, you all just come into the, the room and <clears throat> we just talk, um, or, we, or we televise the top 10 minutes like it used to be, um, or if they replace it with we're going to do on background or off the record briefings every single day, then I think that most reporters would be like, okay, this is a change, not ideal, but it's a change and at least we're still getting access. Because what's important is access. And uh, I, I have heard a lot of complaints, I and mean, you know them too, of the White House oh, press corps oh, who yeah, find yeah. the televised briefings are are annoying uh, because A, people, especially in the front row, ask this, the front row same is all question, the TV people, ask the exact over same question and over, and over and over again because they need to get the, the shot of, yeah. of Mr. Chief White House correspondent of such and such BC News uh, saying... You know, Mr. President or Mr. Press Secretary, yeah. blah 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 blah, and then the press secretary answering them and saying, "Well, yeah. Mark, blah 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 blah," and yeah. that's it's annoying and it doesn't get you anywhere, and it's all for show and it's a waste of time. And I have heard some White House correspondents say, "I would welcome a change to the daily briefing as long as we still have access and and the opportunity to ask questions on a daily basis, where we can, if they say no televised daily press briefing, however, <clears throat> the door to the press secretary's office is open every day between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Come on in, ask me questions. I'm available. I'm here for you. 
then great. And then I think most White House correspondents would be okay with that. I don't think that's going to be what's going to happen because that puts yeah. too much power into the journalist's hands. And I, <clears throat> I think that the daily briefing will change, but I don't know by how much because they'll they'll still want to be on TV getting their message out. They wouldn't want to give all the power into the hands of the journalists to take their right. answers and put it somewhere. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Just about out of time, but time enough to say, again, we call on the electors today to vote their conscience, to vote for what's best for America, what's best for the American people, and what's not necessarily what's best for Donald Trump or for the Republican Party. That's why the Electoral College exists in the first place, to prevent the election of a demagogue like Donald Trump. Let's hope the electors are true to the true spirit of the Electoral College. And if not, let's get rid of the whole damn thing once and for all. That's it for today, folks. Have a great Monday. This Come back and see us tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show. Forward.